Welcome to episode 38 of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. Take it, Scousers. Take all 11 millimeters of it. Here we go. Okay, guys, uh, I'm just going to start off by welcoming our two guests. First of all, we have Presswitch Blue, Colin Savage. Colin, how are you, mate? Good. I'm, um, the kind of emotional adrenaline from last night is wearing off a bit, so I think I'll sleep tonight, but uh, yeah, good. Okay, and also we have Man City Fan TV, Ray. Ray, how are you doing? Have you got your voice back? Are, are, you, all, <laughs> are you all calmed down now? I've just about calmed down. Um, I was on a high uh, yesterday. I got a little bit carried away, as you do, but uh, it was a you know great evening. Ray, I have to say that uh, the YouTube post-match video that you did with uh, Andy and also your Algerian friend was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. The passion was there. Tell us a little bit about the guest that you had with Andy there at the match. Jamal, he's, uh, he's an Algerian guy. And uh, but he's over working in the Middle East. He's working in uh, uh, Dubai or Abu Dhabi in the oil and gas industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's been replying to our videos on uh, YouTube for a while. And you know, we just got chatting, got chatting with him a couple of months ago. He said he wanted to come to a game, a city home game. And uh, I'm guessing because he was he had some time off at Christmas. He said, "Can I get a ticket for the Liverpool game?" And uh, I said, "Normally that's uh, really really tough to get a ticket for the Liverpool game, but as luck would have it my kids are on holiday they're not back till Sunday so I said I've got a spare ticket if you want it and uh, that's how we got to the game so he came he arrived uh, 10 o'clock the, uh, at night uh, the day before he watched the game and I think it was 6 o'clock in the morning he was back on his way out so uh, flying visit and uh, he honestly had a great time he was he was buzzing he really got into it he was asking what songs we were singing he was joining in it was a great experience for him and I think we all had a great time Fantastic, and uh, Colin, uh, I, I'm assuming you're at this. You were at this game too. In your, I was place. at the game. Yes, of course. Okay, let me just ask about the atmosphere. I mean, for guys like me and others around the world who couldn't get there, I was listening to the commentary by Gary Neville, and he was saying he'd never heard an atmosphere like that uh, sustained over 95 minutes like the one that was in this game. Would, would you concur? I would certainly concur. Yeah, the atmosphere was absolutely incredible. And uh, it kind of mirrored, if you remember the one at Anfield in 2014, you know, where, where they were up for it, they booed our players, and, and, and we were a bit like that. And it was, um, you know, we made a noise for just about 90 minutes, a loud noise. And the only time you heard the Liverpool fans was the few minutes between their equaliser and our winner. 
Mm-hmm. Ray, how would you describe you, the atmosphere, and yeah. and how was the response of the of the the, the Liverpool uh, contingent that were there supporting their team? The Liverpool fans, quite honestly, they were they were very quiet. Um, I turned up uh, to my seat probably around thirty minutes before the game started. Um, they were quiet. Then they tried to do their "Ale Ale Ale" song, and as soon as this uh, they piped up, the City fans drowned them out. And I put some videos out on, on YouTube, uh, sorry, on Twitter last night of the City fans drowning them out and, and some of them uh, singing throughout the game and the, uh, you're right um, Colin the only pipes up once they scored for a few minutes they were shouting it's normal you know yeah it happens every time you let a goal in but after that and for the rest of the game I mean we were it was buzzing it was uh, it was the wildest atmosphere and the noisiest and rock, most raucous I've witnessed for, for many a year at um, at home it got going before even the kickoff. yeah mm-hmm. it would I mean the st- it was rocking you know five minutes before kickoff, which is absolutely brilliant okay guys well um, I'm just going to get a little bit poetic on you now uh, uh, the, the I know that the Liverpool fan channels uh, like to be poetic but I was just reading to Today about uh, something by the boxer Lennox Lewis, and he described the various styles of fights that you get in boxing, and he said you've got brawlers and punchers, you know, like Tommy Hearns, and then you've got the pugilist specialist, you know, the purveyors of the sweet science, like like himself, I guess he described that, Prince Nassim Hamid, and uh, apparently a lot of people were saying that uh, this night was the night that City showed that they can do both sides of it. They can do the beautiful stuff, and they can do the grit, the determination and the character. Uh, Colin, ha- would you agree that that's a fair uh, summary of what you saw tonight or saw on the game? I beg your pardon. Yeah, I mean, I think we've shown grit and determination before. I think we've shown plenty of character, but the the, the work rate um, last night was just phenomenal. And, and I think one of the criticisms of our recent run, which hasn't been you know, t- too good, was that the pressing, the, the intensity, had dropped off significantly. But last night, Liverpool barely got out their half for the first 15 minutes. We were just swarming all over them. And even at the end, um, there was that, that the chance that Sterling got close to the end. That came because, again, we were swarming all over them. Sane and Bernardo and, and, and Sterling were just... Um, swamping them. Could I just ask you to respond to a comment that I heard by Barry Glendening and he said that although it, it was a, a game of almost unbearable tension, he described it as a game of low technical quality. How would you respond to that? He's not the first one who said that from, from the media. I think Jamie Jackson said it was of lowish quality. I'll counter that. I mean, it, obviously in a game of such high stakes, there's going to be significant uh, tension and nerves and that's normally going to affect the the technical quality of the game. But having said that, there were uh, there was a lot of moments of uh, incredible skill and quality. And for them just to say overall the game was of low quality, I, I can't I can't accept that. I mean, you look at the goals, all the goals that were scored. Uh, Aguero's goal. That's that to, to actually slot it into the corner. That takes a tremendous amount of skill. Uh, Liverpool's goal was well crafted as well. That takes skill. That you can't do that if you. If you got low, a low level of skill, and uh, and our winner Sani's goal, that was um, once again lots of skill. So I mean, I, I can't agree with the journalists. Whatever, I mean, sometimes you still think they've got their agenda. If if Liverpool had won the game, 
I'm sure uh, the skill level would have improved significantly. So, you know, these are two very good teams, and, and both are capable of stopping. Let's say stopping the other playing, but neither was ever going to. Neither team was going to sit back and let the other team waltz around them. And it was a bit bit similar in the return game at Anfield, wasn't it? That, that both teams were, were kind of concerned about not letting the other have a chance, which doesn't make it a game of low quality. It, it may make it a game of fewer chances, but you know, you've got to admire the the skill of the players on display and and how they did what they did. Well, guys, we'll we'll get into the media response a little bit later. For those of you who don't know, uh, Andy and Ray at Man City TV have put up a wonderful, absolutely wonderful video where they go through the player ratings and they talk about the media reaction. We're going to get into that a little bit later, but I think the first thing that we should do, guys, is talk about the lineup. Now, here's the lineup. So we had Aderson, Danilo Stones, Company Laporte, Bernardo Fernandinho, David Silva. No Kevin De Bruyne, and my colleagues on the last pod had assured me that Kevin De Bruyne would be playing in this game. And of course, we also had Sterling Aguero and Sané. Now, that was, for me, Ray, a little bit of a confusing defensive formation. What did you think about that? Did that raise your eyebrow a little bit? It did. I mean, we thought Pep had experimented with Laporte at left back before, and uh, it, it didn't really work for us. It was a very brave uh, formation, especially at the back uh, from Pep. I mean, to, to stick with Danilo at right back uh, when Kyle Walker's probably fit enough to play and ready to play and what probably wants to play uh, and to play with Laporte uh, at left back rather than uh, at centre back with uh, Stones, which is our best pairing, to bring company back. Well, I mean, he played uh, only a few days ago to, to keep him in as well. It was a very risky uh, strategy. I, I chatted with Andy earlier and we said if it hadn't come off, would have been a lot of City fans would have been saying, well, we said he wasn't a left back. He shouldn't have played there. It was a high risk uh, strategy, but it turned out to be perfect for this game. You know, uh, when all said and done, Kevin De Bruyne, I don't think City want to let him play straight uh, yet. Uh, I would have, I would have been surprised if he started the game. So I think they just want to rest him a little bit more. He might get a few minutes um, in the cup uh, the weekend in the Carabao Cup next week. I think that's how they uh, would rather gradually bring him back. But I think if we were losing last night, we could have seen Kevin De Bruyne come on as a sub. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colin, let me ask you about that also. I mean, um, the... It, it wasn't so hard to understand for me to have Danilo playing because Kyle Walker, as we all know, has been a little bit out of form. But the choices of company straight after having have, having played recently and also Laporte at left back, then that hasn't worked for us before. What was in Pep's head when he set up that back four? I wish I could tell you, but, but certainly the talk on the concourse before the match was, um, you know, why are we not playing Stones and Laporte at centre back? Because that that is our best pairing, and I think most people before the, the, the game would have imagined three out of four of Stones, Laporte and Danilo playing but with Danilo at, at left back and Walker at right back mm. so it, it's difficult to know but maybe it's sending out a bit of a message to Kyle Walker to give him some comp- basically give him some competition because one of the things that we've been saying is Walker's perhaps got a bit complacent because he's got no competition in, in the right back position uh, and playing Danilo there who had an excellent game which I'm sure we'll talk about later gives him some competition Walker has been very sloppy uh, in many games recently. So, so I'm not too worried about the fact that Danilo came and he had a great game against Southampton. Laporte at left back, as Ray said, was an obvious risk yeah. because of the, you know, he, he hasn't looked comfortable against Hoffenheim. And I and I have this theory, whether it's true or not, I don't know. It's, it's my, my opinion that when you play a centre-back at, at full-back, 
so when Laporte's playing a centre-back, he's got room on both sides of him. Obviously, he's left-footed, but he's got room on both sides of him to play the ball. When you put him in a left-back, he's playing against the touchline. So, so he's only got kind of one side free. Very true. And, and, and certainly, I think in the early stage of the game, he put a few passes astray because he's playing. He, he's got to play them up the touchline or the, 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 the space is tighter than he would get at centre-back. I think one of the things, again, I noticed against Hoffenheim and certainly noticed in the early part of the game, yesterday's game, was that when we were on the defensive, which wasn't that often, his automatic reaction was to retreat to a centre-back position. But, but I think what it showed was, the overall thinking was, basically Basically, we played with a flat back four, which is very unusual for a Pep team. It is. Because uh, n- neither of the guys, neither Danilo nor Laporte, they, they made a very occasional uh, forays forward, but neither of them were going into midfield. So I think Pep's thinking was, uh, I, you know, I want to play with four out and out defenders to you know, uh, maintain a flat back four. Let's just look at the Liverpool lineup. So we had uh, Alisson, of course, uh, Robertson, the greatest left back in the world, Virgil van Dijk, the greatest centre back in the world. Sean Lovren's the greatest. Oh, sorry. Well, I was just, go- I was about, just about to come on to him, uh, the self proclaimed best centre back in the world, uh, Dejan Lovren beside him, and uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold. My goodness, Lovren got death threats after this game. You'll never walk alone. Lovren and Carius would disagree with that. But uh, what I was uh, more interested in, Ray, was their midfield. Uh, Gigi Wijnaldum, Milner and Henderson... And uh, then, of course, they had the greatest front three in the world, Salah, Firmino and, and, and Mane. Was that not a strange choice of three, you know, workhorses and no creativity in the midfield for Liverpool by Jurgen Klopp? I think uh, Klopp's idea was to not let City have uh, easy control of the midfield and to basically try and stifle our uh, attacking threat. Um, if they were looking, because as far as Liverpool are concerned, if they walked out of uh, Manchester yesterday with a, a nil-nil draw, they'd have been very, very happy with that. Very happy indeed. So I think that's, it feels like a lot of the games he's played this season, it is, we're not going to let you score. And we're going to let our, uh, you know, fantastic three uh, up front do the business. So I was a bit disappointed he didn't have someone like Shakiri playing because I think Shakiri's done quite well recently. But if if he go down the route that he, he didn't want us to score, didn't want us to have, uh, have a lot of possession in midfield and creativity from our midfielders, um, then I can understand why he played those three stodgy, um, you know, defensive-minded uh, players. That was a good characterization, I think, Colin, of Klopp's overall tactical approach. Let's talk about Pep's overall tactical approach. Colin, how would you characterize that as... As you saw it begin to unfold. I was talking to a friend on the concourse before the game and he said, uh, you know, if I was Klopp, I would be going out to win this game, take a risk to win it because then you're 10 points ahead. The worst case scenario is you you lose, but you're still four points ahead. And if you get a draw, you're seven points ahead. Obviously, we had to win, but I think Pep had to be conscious of um, the threat that Liverpool's front three provided. And funny enough, I was looking at... The, the movie was on over, over Christmas period, A Beautiful Mind, mm-hmm. uh, and it's about the mathematician John Nash. And Nash was very influential in the field of game theory. And game theory is all about choices you know the the most famous uh, implementation of game theory is the prisoner's dilemma where the police suspect two two criminals of being involved in a serious crime but they haven't got enough evidence 
to take it to court without a confession. So they get the two separately and they promise they promise them both a reduced sentence if one will inform on the other, but a, but a greater sentence if they refuse to cooperate. Now, now obviously, the best outcome is if both of them say nothing. Loving to know where yeah. you're going to go with this. One going. of them will select self-interest. Uh-huh. So I think, you know, Pep's strategy there was had to be to win. I, don't, I know you asked me to talk about Pep's strategy. It was, as I say, it was to win. We're playing a flat back four. Remain cautious of the threat that Liverpool's front three. And I think that Klopp, knowing that we were had to win, basically, we didn't have to win, but obviously it helps us a lot if we win. His kind of response was to stop us doing that. So for Liverpool, it was a case of not losing. I will just say this. For the people who don't understand game theory, just think golden balls. If you've ever watched that uh, quiz programme, that's exactly it, golden balls. Okay. Tell us a little bit about that, uh, Ray. I haven't seen that. It's, it's exactly that. You you end up with, I think, two people and uh, they can they're gonna, they can share, I think they can share the money. They can, I mean, they can agree to share yeah. the, the pots. I yeah. never watched it. My mum used to watch it. I, I just sometimes happened to yeah, yeah. walking past. They can share it or one person, or if, if but they both have to, I think, agree to share it. If one steals it, and the other doesn't steal it and says we'll share, the person who steals it takes a lot. And if they both try and steal, they both end up with nothing. So that's how it works. Yeah, so... I guess in this case, our intention was to steal the pot. Yeah. You know, we were going to um, go for bro. We were going to inform on the other. We were prisoner A. Isn't that why you love the Bolt from the Blue podcast? You get deep <laughs> philosophical analysis <laughs> like this. Yeah, mathemat- deep mathematics. Uh, guys, as the game started, one thing that we learned very, very quickly is that Leroy Sané had the beating of Trent Arnold. He roasted him on a couple of occasions. I was amazed by the speed of Leroy. I don't know what you guys think of Trent Alexander-Arnold. He seems to be a very good passer, a very good attacking player. But I think even listening to Liverpool supporters, they kind of... Uh, they have their doubts about him, and um, certainly Klopp has not displayed the greatest trust in him. What was your opinion of that particular duel, Ray? Um, I think you're right. Uh, I think on both flanks, we had the beating of their fullbacks. Leroy definitely skinned um, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold a few times, got uh, around the back of him. My feeling is that uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold is better going forwards uh, than going backwards. And so, I'm, I'm, you know, Leroy, basically most of the time, the threat of Leroy kept um, Trent Alexander-Arnold back a bit and more, let's say more reluctant to, to go forwards. But he had the beating of him on the outside. He had the beating of, of him on on the inside and uh, Leroy was always a threat down that wing there were some wonderful moments you saw uh, Fernandinho releasing Sterling who absolutely skinned Robertson but David Silva's shot was blocked there was also a beautiful triangular moment as Aguero released Sané and that reduced yeah. uh, the world's best defender Virgil <laughs> van Dijk poofing the ball in, into the stands like he was playing for Millwall <laughs> uh, what, what did you think of those opening moments uh, Colin? Those opening 15 minutes with, with a typical Liverpool team they will normally be all over you they will be swarming swarming all over you and I think we, we gave it back to them we, we did to them what they would have normally done to us or would yeah. do to us Anfield because obviously when we go to Anfield I always say just keep it tight those first 15 minutes and we never do but that, that first 15 minutes we were just 
we absolutely, as I said before, we absolutely closed them down. We hounded them. We, 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 you know, they didn't get a moment's peace. They could barely get, you know, away from their own 18-yard area. And we just pinned them in for that 15 minutes. And it must have been quite demoralizing. Um, Another lovely moment where Leroy Sané absolutely burned Lovren. Trent Arnold was nowhere to be seen and brings out a, a save from uh, Alisson, which led to a goalmouth scramble where neither David Silva nor uh, Raheem Sterling were able to put in a shot. There was some good defending by Van Dijk in particular. It was a tactical chess match played at, you know, a, a million miles an hour. City were really the better team. We, we seemed, Ray, to have rediscovered our press in that first half. Did you not think? Yeah, I, I don't think we pressed as much as we did last season, as high up the pitch as we would have done last season. I think we were just a, a few yards uh, short. But when um, Liverpool tried to come out further down the pitch, further into their own half, then we did press them. And when we pressed, we pressed quite well. And you can you can see that by the number of times that Alisson kicked the ball, basically just leathered it up the pitch or kicked it out, or one of their defenders just hoofed it up. You know, they tried to pass it around a little bit at the back. But when we pressed uh, really well, they had no... They basically had no option so they had to you know, hit it 30 yards down the pitch or down the line uh, hoping to get to Salah who actually I think held the ball up quite well but the pressing that, that's my feeling anyway it wasn't as high as and, and as um, feverish as it was at times last season but it was still very effective Colin something I noticed was and this was throughout the game it seemed that Allison was on a on a mission to show that he could do what Ederson can do and the number of times that he attempted to play the ball around between himself and his defenders was quite prevalent. I mean, contrast was stark. Ederson's passes were like millimeter perfect. Allison was um, was risking and gambling all the time. Did you get that impression as well, Colin, that Allison was was kind of out to show everybody that he can uh, use his feet as well as Ederson can? Well, I think that if that was that's what he was trying to do, there was only one winner, and that was Ederson. I, I did think that Ederson had a bit of a strange game. It was two or three times he was flapping at stuff and um but in terms of the distribution um there was no contest absolutely guys and then after that first 15 minutes liverpool uh-huh. had a, a spell of a few minutes where uh, what what was worrying us watching was we we were everything we were creating was we were creating on the wings up to that point but they had a couple of occasions where they passed through the middle of us. Uh, so they were very good uh, because they had basically that not very constructive midfield trio sat in front of a back four. They covered the passing line very, very well. We were a bit more open and there were a couple of occasions where they could pass the ball through us on the ground, which was a little bit worrying at occasions. But as you say, we, we seemed to over... They had a bit of a brief spell and then we re-established control. That, that's true. One of the other things was that that midfield, I mean, I think that that's their Achilles heel, really. They were not able to get the ball through to their forwards. And it seemed to me that the Liverpool front three, when they did have the ball, were sort of passing it between each other. There was no real link up between that very artisan-like midfield and their creative attack. There was the um, John Stones clearance off the line by, I think, uh, VAR said, uh, not VAR, the goal line technology said 11 millimetres, which is basically neither here nor 
Yeah. I think, I'm not sure if uh, Edison flapped at it. Edison was on the floor and John Stones, he tried to slam the ball clear, but he, he ended up just booting uh, Edison and it ricocheted and it was going in. And uh, it was an amazing lunge by John Stones uh, to clear it off the line. And he actually nutmegged uh, Salah, who was uh, steaming in, trying to get any uh, scraps. The accidental uh, nutmeg. <laughs> on that particular point in the preparation for this pod, I did listen to the Anfield rap podcast and I heard the most bizarre statement I've ever heard in, uh, the most it's about the grass statement. being too long and the pitch being too wet and no, uh, well I, I'll just go through those uh, four, the goal four, line four, being four too guys. thick and but listen, li- listen this is the statement that killed me Colin here's one of their commentators without goal line technology that's a go yeah <laughs> <laughs> what, what on earth does that mean Ray it means they're clutching good straws. They're, they're playing their natural role that they've assumed over many years of the victim. You know, they're now bemoaning the fact that we've almost got a clear cut black or white decision on goal line technology. And they're now disputing that and, and, and saying there's something wrong with it just because they didn't get the goal. We all know if they did got the goal by 11 millimeters, goal line technology would be a wonderful innovation. <laughs> and also, Colin, you've got to talk me through this. You've got to explain this to me. Also on the Anfield wrap, there was quite a discussion about City had grown the grass long in, or, <laughs> in, or, in order to reduce Liverpool, Liverpool's quick passing game. Now, now, please, please, Colin, tell me what that means. Well, I think it means they're clutching at straws, like Ray said. Uh, you know, why would we try to restrict their quick passing game when ours is just as important to us? Oh, ours is the best I, in Europe, for goodness sake. I mean, why would we do that? Yeah, it's just bizarre. I did watch the first minute of that uh, video. And I could swear that there were three people and the other two were desperately trying very hard not to laugh. It, it was quite bizarre. Uh, yeah, and it just shows them up for the, for the idiots they are. And that, that's why, you know, that's why people hate them. Yeah. Because, they, you know, they, they're, a, they're a cult. They you know, and, and, cult, aren't they? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Ray, 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 now. listen to me. That sentence, without goal line technology, that's a goal. That is something that could have come straight out of the mouth of Alison Rudd. Oh, please don't. Let's not go there with Alison Rudd. One of the worst journalists, uh, sports journalists out there. Uh, for someone who should have a good inkling about football, she's uh, really, really bad. Um, well, she, she played as a professional. Exactly. And she's a qualified, she's a qualified referee. Qualified ref. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and she's um, the most clueless pundit game. <laughs> I, guys, I'm almost tempted to listen to the game podcast with Gabe Marcotti because I know she's going to be on it just to hear how she's going to explain the fact that we did them. You know, it's, it's going to be so fun, isn't it? It's been so... Actually, it's been funny today with all these articles and pieces by the Liverpool um, media or Liverpool fans. You had on TalkSpot tonight, not a radio station I listened to, uh, ju- it was just on in the car as I was going to the gym, where I think it was Adrian Durham talking about how accurate is this goal line technology because apparently there's a margin for uh, of error of five millimetres. And he said, because the ball hit the post, did that nudge the cameras a little bit? Did that affect the goal line technology? He, he thinks he deserves to be told. As I said before, Goal line technology is almost black and white. 
just to, it's about as good as we can get. Yeah. It's going to stop the massive ricks that we we had on in the past. Uh, we, we, if you, you'll all remember, was it the Frank Lampard shot uh, in the in the World Cup? Uh, the Carroll save uh, from uh, against Spurs many many years ago, which was about three yards over the line, which they didn't give us a goal. Goal line technology is, is a great innovation. It's going to stop most of the debate. There shouldn't be any debate now. The ball wasn't the whole of the ball wasn't over the whole of the line. That's the rule. You can argue that rule is daft, but that's the rule. It was implemented. No goal. I respect Klopp, and I respect the team that he's built, but I just, th- th- this fan base they've got, I just cannot, cannot take them seriously. I mean, I'm talking about biblical, spectacular levels of hypocrisy. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, they're brainwashed. Uh, you know, it's, um, I, I mean, Ray's met Rob, who I go to the games with. He interviewed him uh, when, when he interviewed me. Yeah. He, his partner is from a Liverpool supporting family. And, and, and Rob is very amusing to listen to on, on the Liverpool fan base. I mean, he reckons like a religious cult. You know, it, it, we were talking about this last night, coming back from the game. It's like the need to be part of a family. But it's more it's more than that. It's, you know, the, the delusion and the, the leader can never be questioned. And the lead, You know, the leader's always right. And the world is against us and blah, 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 blah. And it, we're, we're all like that. To some degree, as football fans, we all have that. The world is against us. Uh, attitude, but but they take it to a completely different level. Rob Bretton's that this kind of a weakness of you need some sort of weakness of character to be a Liverpool fan. You need to feel you belong to this this group that is somehow different to any other group of fans. You know, you're part of the family and you get welcomed into that family and you all stick together. And and then you know they issue death threats to the players because they you know, miss kickable. Yeah, it's very amusing. I mean, uh, to, to listen to Rob on this on this subject. I've has been howling with laughing, no matter how many times I've heard it. But yeah, they, they are a bit of a weird fan base. Did you see the Henry Winter? I didn't read the whole article. Yeah. The Henry Winter, what you know, Liverpool principles on and off the pitch are different. What yeah. is that? Um, that journalistic well, nonsense is just incredible. It, it's it just reinforces this cult-like behaviour that it's somehow a- they are different to any other club or fan base. It's a wee bit like, it's like when you hear journalists saying, we need a strong Manchester United for this league. And you're thinking, why? Why do you need a strong Manchester United for the Premier League to be successful? If they merit that, then yeah. But I mean, otherwise, why do you need a strong Manchester United? Why do you need a powerful Liverpool? I mean, it's not nothing to do with quality in every team. It's about who's the best team and who's winning the most games. I mean, let's not take anything away from them. They've got a reasonably good set of owners and, and they play very good football. You know, they're, they're enjoyable to watch. But, uh, you know, it's not it's not the club. Well, uh, even the club are at it, aren't they? they you know, uh, if you remember when, when Cruyff died and their tribute to him was a quote about and playing at Anfield. It has to be about them. But, uh, Ray, sorry, you, Ray. You, Ray, sorry, Ray you, you mentioned something else that I missed about the uh, the first half. It continues with your hypocrisy uh, theme. And okay. it doesn't help with Klopp at it as well. It was on 30 minutes when, at the back, uh, we were in our own half and uh, John Stones passed the ball square to Vincent Company, and the ball was just a little bit in front of him. And uh, uh, Salah, wasn't it? Was it Salah to come and yeah. uh, yeah, take the ball? Sorry, Salah. And that was right. And Company did a. It was a great tackle. That Ten was a years beautiful ago, beautiful tackle. Was, you know, the com- I listened to some comment- commentary um, today on uh, the American uh, commentary with Arlo White, and he said something like, "Great tackle, beautiful tackle." He took the ball, you know, and he was shocked. And some of the commentators were shocked when they came back. 
and a company got booked and you had uh, collapsing company should have got a, a red card because not he said not only was it a dangerous tackle but he was the last man and they've all conveniently forgotten about when Virgil van Dijk did well, it Dries, uh, Dries Mertens but, against Napoli exactly and that was a much more destructive tackle on the poor chap's ankle than Vincent company sliding uh, and uh, taking ball here I, I'll, I'll tell you uh, Lovren's tackle on Aguero which was yellow carded was a much more dangerous tackle than, than companies on on, on Salah. Let's describe this, guys. I mean, Salah, to his credit, he anticipates company coming in. He he rides that tackle a little bit. Company wins the ball fair and square, takes a little bit of the man. Let, no, let's not deny that. But my goodness, if that is a sending off offence, I mean, I'm a monkey's monkey's uncle. That's just <laughs> unbelievable. But of course, when you go in for one of those 50-50 balls, there's always the danger that the ref will see it the other way. Having looked back at it a few times... At worst, even if he, even if he, if you agree it's a foul, the worst thing it is is maybe reckless. So, you know, company's gone in with, with some disregard. At worst, yellow card. You could, you could, was a you good could decision, make, wasn't it? You, yeah, well, you could make a, you could make a, an argument as much of an argument that it was merely careless. It was more careless than excessive force. One of the journalists you know, I was listening to was saying that on that tackle, that he had watched it five, six, seven times and was undecided on it. And you think about yeah. the poor ref; he's got to see it like in a split second. Ray, but apart from that incident, how would you describe company's performance as a whole in the game? Words like. Captain, leader, legend, leader. warrior, leader. they all they all apply. What do you think? Exactly. That's the reason why Pep started with company. He wanted that leadership. You know, I think if he started with Stones and uh, Laporte, you can feel that they're, they're too nice. They're too, uh, too much of uh, football players. It's if, the only thing they lack, isn't it, Ray? I mean, Laporte will maybe develop into that, but yeah. it's the only thing that they lack. They, they can't compare yeah. to company on that front. But well, if you're going to play Laporte at left back, then you've got a choice between Company and Otamendi as partner for Stones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you take Company in those circumstances. I think the only the only thing about Company is sometimes he's a bit overambitious in his passing out from the back. Is this not one of the best things you've ever seen in your life? Or you've been on Twitter like we all have, and uh, you saw that little snippet of the game where Company rises from the tackle, looks down <laughs> at Salah, and calls him a pussy. <laughs> that yeah. was. For me, that that is the captain that I want. I mean, he, that was just beautiful, Ray. What did you think? I think that, I mean, uh, yeah, when everybody, when the fans have watched it back afterwards, it's obviously incensed the Liverpool fans and, you know, there's people saying he should be punished. Uh, uh, but the City fans are loving it, loving it, loving it, loving it. You know, I've watched it many times trying to lip read exactly what he said. I've not really caught it that well, but it, it just shows the kind of guy he is. I mean, he went in for the tackle. He made the tackle, politely uh, abused uh, his opponent <laughs> and got on with the game. Colin, do you think that the FA lip reader section are going <laughs> to get onto that and, and people are going to say, well, if you're going to like charge Mourinho for uh, effing and blinding, that they're going to get onto company. Some people actually said that Actually, he didn't say the word pussy. He said the word bushy, and he was referring to, you know, uh, Salah's bushy his beard. hair. His beard, yeah. <laughs> well, I think if he's referring to his beard, that's actually worse than what he actually said. But we we know about Salah. I mean, you've seen the recent Liverpool yeah. games. That guy is trying to buy a penalty every single time. I mean, and he tried lo- a couple more times, didn't he? And he I, did. I'm not, Colin, do you think that uh, Taylor, he, he, being a Manchester United fan, he just hates Liverpool a little bit more yeah. than he hates us? Well, that's possible. Entirely. 
entirely possible. But one of the, one of the good things about his performance, to give him some credit, was that he took he stood no messing from from Salah and uh, Mane. And there was a few times where they went down and he waved at them to get up. Is there anything else? Before we start to talk about the Aguero goal, is there anything else that we need to talk about uh, in that first half? I don't uh, think so. Co- Colin, what do you think? I, I think only that um, David Silva chance. Sterling had won the ball, did, hadn't he? Uh, played the ball in, and David Silva had his body shape all wrong. He, he kind of tried to take it on his, I can't remember which foot, he took it on one foot, tried to get it onto the other when he should have hit it first time. Um uh, and that was kind of going back to the, the bad old days of David Silva faffing about in the penalty area, whereas this season, and to some of last, he's been very, very decisive in front of goal. And it was kind of... Um, and, you, and you think... Uh, and what we were saying before the game was, we're not going to get that many chances. We have to make the most of them. And that was really our first real big chance. Mm-hmm. So it was a bit disappointing to see that. Can we move on to the Aguero goal next? Ray, you've got to talk me through this because... I have to say that when he looked to be on the point of taking the shot, I was thinking to myself, Ray, there's no part of the goal that he can, <laughs> that he can, <laughs> that he can aim at. What, yeah. Describe that for me, Ray. Well, Sani got the, Sani had the ball. He took it, I think, to, to the byline and, uh, cr- um, crossed it in. So he'd left, uh, our good friend, uh, Trent Alexander Arnold in his wake yeah, and he put the ball in. And, and I think Aguero, I think earlier in that movie, he'd, he'd been knocked down or he'd, yeah. he'd gone down looking for a penalty or whatever it was. I haven't seen a replay of that. But he got up. He was in front of uh, the defender, I'm guessing was Lovren. Yeah. And he controlled the ball. And he really was very close to the edge of the six-yard area and, and the byline. And... Normally, you tell kids, you've got to hit it across the keeper. You've got to hit it across the keeper to hit it into the far corner. Or if the goalie saves it, he'll push it out. Someone can uh, uh, can score. But we've seen this from Aguero before. And you might remember a few years ago in a derby game with uh, David De Gea. And uh, I think Aguero had uh, done one of his mazy sideways runs past three or four players. And he absolutely slammed the ball in the near post top corner. And De Gea kind of just crumpled. And this was kind of the same. And Alisson just did not expect Aguero to, to try and put that ball in that in that postage stamp of uh, right in the corner. Postage um, stamp is with, the right with, expression, mate. Yeah, and with such ferocity too. There was so little space. And I think Alisson probably probably thought, I've got this covered. I've covered enough of the near post. There's no way he's going to do that. And sorry, you know, if you're a world-class goalie, you should have made a world-class save. You should have saved that uh, at your near post. Colin, I've got to ask you to comment on this theory. Um, I've heard a very clever theory by one of the analysts on one of the websites I listened to, and they said that Aguero was unbelievably clever because, as Ray said, he was initially fouled, went down looking for a possible penalty, but he stayed on the ground, he realised that Van Dyke was a superior opponent, and he stayed down long enough for Van Dyke to drift over to one side so that he could, he would be against Lovren, and he knew that Lovren was fractionally slower, and that enabled him to make that shot. Now, is that too sophisticated? Are we giving Aguero too much credit, or is that how you saw it? No, I think we're giving him slightly too much credit, because um, I don't know, maybe, but um, 
Uh, I don't think there was much contact from Van Dyke. He went we're, down. We're, and we're, was, be, we're being too much like the Anfield rap here, are we? <laughs> yeah, I think we are being too. You know, he went down. He was sat there. I, one of the things we've seen about Aguero is it, it, sometimes he's a bit slow to get on side, and, and it happened a couple of times uh, last night. But he, you know, he takes himself out of the game. He kind of cuts off the option for a ball over the top, or you know, a, a long slide rule pass through to him. And he was sat there waving his hands around, thinking the ball had gone really. But then obviously the ball, Bernardo. Silva picked up the ball and came back and, and once he saw that he was then off his feet and he didn't move very far because he just moved as Ray said to the edge of the six yard box I don't think he was looking at who was there he was just you know doing that thing where he, he goes to the front post and, and Sterling goes to the far post and, and I've seen some blame attached to uh, Lovren as well for that but he's got to be thinking Lovren's got to be thinking he's going to try and square the ball or he's going to try and get round me on, on the on the inside I don't think any of us expected what happened because it, again it was just seen with Aguero one of the criticisms of him if, if he's got a side to go he'll have a go whether he's best placed or not uh, and we've seen that a few times in the last uh, certainly the last few last few games but um, he just saw that goal and he was so uh, you know, he, he, when he scored, he, he was right in front of us when when he came over to celebrate on the touchline, and he was so pumped up. Yeah, there was only one thought one thought in his mind when he got that ball, and he he does that so so well. <laughs> I mean, he, there are criticisms you can make of Sergio, but give him a sniff of the goal like that, and he absolutely you you, you can't imagine Harry Kane doing that. You can't imagine uh, Eden Hazard doing that. You, you know, you can't imagine even uh, Mo Salah doing that. Ray, I'm gonna have to um, bring you in here that was so the strike was so vicious it was so pinpoint is there any striker in the world who could have got a goal like that some people are saying on twitter maybe icardi uh maro cardi but they can't think of anybody else who would no, there's no way harry kane could have done that just no i mean the, the level of skill involved uh, what he did the ball came across he flicked it up it spun in the air it landed and he hit it on the sweetest of sweet half volleys uh, with his left foot into the corner. Now, you know, I can't even watching it again. I can't believe Aguero did that. Is Sergio Aguero a left footer? I don't think so. No, nope. I don't think that's his main. <laughs> that's foot. his weaker foot. My goodness. There you go. So, as I said, I don't. I, I can't even believe Aguero did that when we were we were behind the goal. I we just couldn't understand how he'd got that ball in. I mean, we weren't complaining. We were going mental, but we had no idea how he'd managed to squeeze yeah. that ball in. Oh, guys, that was just such a sweet moment, and I love the celebration. Uh, if that was in front of you, Colin, I would have paid a thousand dollars to be a, to to have been in where you were because they he all was. came across as a team. They were absolutely going mental. We were going mental. Uh, it was such a such an em emphatic strike, and um, that was on fourteen minutes, guys. Was there anything significant that happened in the in the final five minutes before we move on to the second half? I don't think so. I mean, I think what we were all thinking was keep this. Don't let them score before half time. Yeah, don't yeah. let this slip. Don't let it slip. Yeah, this does not slip, to use a famous <laughs> phrase. And I think that was the fear of all of us in that last five minutes. That was a slight worry. If we go in, obviously, we go in 1 0 up. Liverpool have then got to change their game plan and they've got to open up. And that works to our benefit. If they go, you know, obviously, if they go in 1 all, 
they're just sitting. They they just don't have to change at all because they'll take the point. Yeah, you know, look for the look for the win. So so the crucial thing was to go in one nil up, and we did that. Uh, yeah, I, I thought we did that pretty well. Well, I've got to mention our friend on uh, the ninety three twenty pod, Howard Hawk, and he pointed out something on Twitter that was very funny because the Anfield Rap actually also has um, a website, and um, they've done their write up on the game. And City fans were singing "Ale Ale Ale," you know, in sarcastic you know response to their victory over us uh, last season and in the write-up the writer for the the Anfield rap said never has a crowd deserved a football team less that was their response <laughs> to that chant I mean oh my goodness okay I, I just think that girl on the Anfield rap uh, just felt she had to agree out of politeness uh, she, I didn't I didn't note any conviction in her reply and I'm uh, sure she was trying not to laugh <laughs> when he was saying it guys did you know Ray I've got a yes. uh, you, you haven't mentioned I've, I've been following everything that you guys have put out <laughs> literally literally every minute of all night tonight and there's one thing I think you guys missed maybe you didn't miss it but uh, Colin Liverpool supporters have launched a petition on change.org. <laughs> oh, we, we included that, don't worry. On yeah, online yeah, 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 technology, yeah. and they've yeah. said, we want justice. <laughs> I mean, what the justice, heck is that ju- about? Justice for, the 11, justice for the 11 millimeters. Oh, my gosh. What is the phrase that, that they use? You know, like, there'll be, be banners and... Oh. Anyway, I'm I'm breathless. Have we done the first half? <laughs> That's the first, the first half. Okay, guys. Well, let's move into the second half now, Colin. How did that start? How do you think? Well, that- I, no, I, no, I, no, I, no, Colin. Just before you begin, um, and Reg, just want to ask you about this. Um, a lot of the more considerate journalists have said that Klopp blinked first. That was their expression. Klopp blinked first because he brought on Fabinho. He realised that the system uh, wasn't working and the phrase was Klopp blinked first and that's why they consider that uh, Pep won the tactical uh, battle. Bring you in first, Ray. Would you say that that's a fair comment? Um... It's what it's one. I always think it's one of those. You know, it's on fine margins. The games are won and lost. And um, you know, if if um, if Liverpool had won, it'd have been a great decision by Klopp. Now that they've they've uh, they've lost, it's it's he blinked first. I mean, I don't really hold too much one way or the other whether it was uh, blinking first or not. I think sometimes we go. Uh, a little too far in these perceived mind games and psychology of, of what's going on. They're not as smart as all that is what you're saying. Well, no, no. I, I think basically if Klopp felt the wrong, he needed a goal and he needed a goal. He needed a little bit more for argument's sake, uh, solidity and attacking, slightly more attacking threat as well. Uh, he, he didn't want us to score a second goal and he wanted to give Liverpool a chance to score a goal. Then maybe he had to change it up because, with, as I said, with those three stodgy midfielders, um, workhorses, you know, you're not going to create that much. So maybe he just it was uh, pragmatic and said, look, we, we need a goal. I'm going to have to change something up here. Well, it gets back to the game theory thing, doesn't it? His strategy starts off not to lose. Yeah. Our strategy starts off to win. Our strategy pays off for 45 minutes. His strategy, he's now got to, got to change his strategy um, because he's got to get something out of the game. Yeah. You know, the, the last thing he wants us to do is to win. They played, up to that point, they played a, a fairly standard 4-3-3. And that midfield three had stayed quite close to the back four. 
I think but Milner had a pretty ineffective game. I mean, and actually, a few times, our players had done to Milner, people like Fernandinho Bernardo, had done to Milner what Milner usually does to our players. You know, he'll go flying in. He'll let them know he's there. And a few times, two, two or three times, I think Milner got flattened by well, a couple James, of our players. He, he hasn't got the uh, the trophies that he left us to go and No, no well, not yet. But, but I think, so, so he wasn't having a great game, I don't think. And, and, and what Fabinho does is he, he gives them a platform to go forward. He's a much more accomplished player in that sort of situation. But, but what they then did was, and people are saying Salah had to move to the middle because Laporte owned him. But I think what, what Liverpool did, they changed the formation. I've seen a few things about this. So instead of being that fairly stodgy, you know, Salah then moved playing a central position. And they did look better for it. I was engaged with one guy on Twitter who was supposedly a professional staff football statistician who put something about City had fallen off a cliff the last few weeks and Liverpool had ascended the heights. And he made the mistake of putting the Man City Twitter handle in. So all, all the City fans picked up on it. And he put another daft tweet about how Fabinho changed the game completely when he came back on. The trouble with stats is you need context. You know, you can't look at bare stats without some context. And, and what happened was the, the game, Liverpool changed to a different formation. I was saying Fabinho changed the game, or Fabinho was better than Milner, but Fabinho wasn't playing the same game that Milner was playing, and they weren't playing the same system. They had to go onto the front foot. So naturally, because I think we'd had, I think that's one of the few games overall where we've had le- less possession than the opposition. So it's about four 49 to us, 51 to them, 50-50. But in that first half, we had 65% possession. And they had to change that because they were get you know, we were sticking with a flat back four. Uh, Salah and, and Mane were getting nothing out out of the out of the, the defence. They had to change something. I, I think it was, I'm not sure it was, not sure it was a case of Klopp blink first, but he had to change something because he wasn't going to get a goal playing the way they, they, they were playing up to, you know, that moment. Ray, I'm reading a quote from Michael Cox from zonalmarking.com. <laughs> and li- li- oh, listen, li- listen to this. I think if you ever wondered where his allegiances lie. You don't anymore. Let me read you tweets. I've got them right in front of me, guys. So I know what you're going to say. He says, expecting a lot of tripe about how City deserved that, but Liverpool were the better side, hit the post at 0-0, a couple off the line, City with some awful defensive mix-ups, company should have been sent off, the winner was a deflected effort that went in off the post, fine margins. Now listen, Ray, Michael Cox, until now, has been a very, very respected tactical pundit. And that line, the winner was a deflected effort that went in off the post. It's a lot of rubbish. I mean, I, th- I think, with all due respect, just take a look at his surname. That says it all. <laughs> uh, so I say, I, I've always, you know, found Michael Cox's writing very, very good. You know, yeah, me too. But, always... Me too, but his very next post is this. Listen to this. He says, I think that's five times the Liverpool fullbacks have switched play to one another and it brings the equalizer guys is this the tactical analyst that we have been respecting for all of these months you look at their equalizer and it was the two fullbacks and our two fullbacks were never really a couple of times Laporte came forward Danilo had a pop in the second half but you know we played basically it's not correct to say we played a a completely flat back four because looking at our average positions yes the fullbacks were slightly um uh, advanced <laughs> from the two central defenders but not that much not as much as you'd expect Laporte maybe slightly more than Danilo so we um, you know, 
But their fullbacks then started to come. This, this is the whole point of this four-two-three-one. Their two fullbacks then started to come forward. And to be fair, those two guys are quite good going forward. But you know, you can you can question their defensive abilities at the back. But if if you look at that equaliser, you, you can break it down to perhaps three mistakes from us. Well, that that's um, just the point, Colin. We 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 need to move on to to their goal, yeah. the Firmino goal. So that might be a good place, Colin, to to start to analyse that, right? So um, was it Alexander Arnold had the can't remember which side they're on. Alexander Arnold had the ball on the on the right. That's right. Yep. And he sort of turned Sane slightly. Uh, Sane lost him for a moment, then turned round as Alexander Arnold starts to come in field, and Sane just wasn't quick enough to close him down. He had far too long to pick out a cross, and he's very good at doing that. You know, he's very accurate in his delivery. And Sane was kind of strolling a little bit. And I know we we talked about Sane before, and I thought up to that point he'd had a very mixed game. A, a few times he looked a bit switched off, and that, that that was one of those times where he was just watching Alexander Arnold without making any real attempt or, 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 you know, might make it a fantastic effort to close him down. Alexander-Arnold beautifully picked out Robertson at the far post. That was nice, yeah. Uh, it was really well done that ball, and, and our Laporte would not have been in the same position, you know, if if it had been the other way around. Robertson's come right up. Danilo doesn't get back far enough, so the ball goes over his head. Some people say uh, that Danilo just misjudged the flight of that. Yeah, he misjudged it, flight of it, whatever. But but yeah, he gives um, he gives Robertson basically an unimpeded header. Robertson cushions it very well. But, but the final mistake is that Vincent Kompany fails to track the run of Firmino. So Firmino runs past him, and obviously he's got a tap in. He's not going to miss. He's not going to miss that. But this kind of a, a bit of a, it's, it's the first time we've really let ourselves down a bit. You know, where we had three consecutive, whether you call them errors, misjudgments, lack of concentration, whatever you Fine call it. Fine margins, mate. Fine margins. Fine margins. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. personally, I wouldn't blame Danilo excessively because no. he'd come inside. He was Mark. He was on his man. Whoever was there, Danilo was there. And the ball was put behind him. Now, um, that's happened quite a few times in recent weeks where a cross has come in to the far post and someone's been free. We've seen Zinchenko uh, fault uh, yeah. that happening. We've seen Delphi fault with that happening. So it's happened a few times in recent games. So the ball's put in. The fullback, the opposition fullback comes, comes um, down the line. He's left free. He put the ball in. Very nicely done. But if I if I remember correctly, they had three men in our box, three men in our six-yard area, and we had maybe one defender. And, you know, on the balance of probabilities, it's going to go to them. That's uh, the price you pay for, for Pep's system, though, Ray, is it not? That's it. You, you, we take risks, and when it works, it's fantastic. When it doesn't work, it looks a bit shoddy, but that's the risk you take. There's one big, big thing that happened um, before the goal was the penalty shot for Raheem Sterling. Yeah, that's where, the thing. That's the oh, thing. Was that, was that before on. the goal? Yeah, yeah. Was it was that, that, that was before the goal. It? Let's talk about <laughs> that, guys. That is like, okay. Unbelievable. Okay. I've, got, I've, got my, I've got my blue tinted spectacles on, <laughs> but my goodness, that's a penalty all day long, surely, surely. Yeah. Uh, Ray, talk to me about that. The, the Raheem penalty incident. Now, we were at the other end of the pitch, and, you know, I, I'd, I'd crossed my heart and hoped to die. I was a hundred and odd yards away, and I could see uh, Robertson with both his arms around Sterling. Now, Sterling had gone down the line, as he'd done in the first half with Robertson. Robertson obviously showing him uh, on the outside to keep going down the line, keep going down the line, and Raheem cuts back in. Whether it was a Cruyff turn or whatever it was, he just uh, cut back in. Robertson was on the wrong side, and Sterling had the opportunity to go inside of him uh, on his left foot and, and have a around the six-yard box, unimpeded uh, sh- uh, shot at the keeper. And Robertson put both his arms around Sterling. 
Sterling. Uh, you know, we've seen it quite recently when, when Mo Salah, you know, it's not been, we, we've just been honest here. When uh, Newcastle, someone touched his on, uh, touched him on the shoulder, he fell forwards and uh, collapsed. Um, well, that shoulder's very sensitive. Well, that's, that's it. You know, yeah. the, the, the Laporte thing as well, right? When he put, yeah. his, put his hands on someone's uh, shoulders and, and the yeah. referee from behind just, gave him just collapsed but so so Robertson had both his arms around Sterling. Sterling lost his footing, went down, and Robertson just lay on top of him. You know, it was ridiculous. And the, the referee said, "Play on." It was absurd. There was no way that was not a penalty. You got people like Gary Neville saying no penalty. Few Liverpool pundits, no penalty. It was as plain as the nose yes. on your face. You know that yeah, it, was, it was a rugby tackle. That, yeah, that's a free kick anywhere else on the pitch, isn't it? If and, it's a free kick somewhere else on the pitch, it's a penalty, it's a penalty. In the box. And, and you think back to the Champions League quarterfinal at Anfield. Oh, yeah. It's a classic Sterling move that takes the ball on the outside and kind of stops it and then goes <laughs> on the inside. And again, he got his, leg, his legs taken, didn't he, that uh, yeah. at Anfield? Absolutely. No, no penalty. You know, both absolutely, 100% nailed on penalty. It's a shame Klopp didn't get asked about that. Because that should have been a penalty. I, mean, I could understand it. If they both had, where both players had their arms around each other, basically, and, and the ref waved play on, and that's fair enough, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other. But Robertson had his arms around Sterling and was, was pushing him back. You know, it wasn't like they were both trying to get to the ball and wrestling. He was pushing him back. It was a penalty all day a long. Nice tangle of legs as well by Robertson on, on Sterling there. But well, my goodness, the hypocrisy of the Liverpool fans in suggesting that there was nothing in that I mean I'm breathless I, I, I just the, the hypocrisy is, is just stunning it's in fact it's awesome I think I think there's something admirable about that level of hypocrisy Colin just to come back to what we were talking about before about Anthony Taylor not wanting to make a game changing decision maybe so, yeah. so, so maybe. he doesn't give the you know, he's waving Salah and Mane to, to get up and he doesn't yeah. send he doesn't company off that, uh, red card on uh, company for instance he doesn't give the penalty because that's Game over. City score a second goal. It's game over. So yeah, yeah, yeah. keep the game going. You know, it, it, it makes it. You know, it, it gives you to thinking that there are conspiracy theories because two 0 for City, the game's over. One 0 for City, the game is still exciting. And if if you know if you went into conspiracy theories, you'd say you know it's it's a stitch up. The next thing that that we were due to talk about is the Leroy goal, but in the in the interests of thoroughness and, and 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 I'm sorry guys our our podcasts are normally about 40 minutes but I think this one's going to be about an hour and a half um is there anything that we need to talk about between now and the Leroy Sané goal there was one chance that Liverpool had before they scored that was cleared off the line. There was a chance that was, uh, they had a shot at goal from on the right hand side yep. and Edison was going to try and save it. Company made the save in front of Edison and then he just kicked the ball away. He just that, that, that was a free kick, wasn't it? I, I think it was, or it came in from the right hand side. Uh, and this is what, again, what I was saying before. Edison had one of those weird games where he, he seemed a little bit too hyped up. He came flying out for yeah, that. That's right. He flaps out. Uh, yeah, he was flapping a bit at that. Company had it covered, and they kind of got in each other's way a little bit. Anyway, and he was kind of he always seemed to stand there and watch while the ball was played around him. But again, we we, we did clear it. I didn't think it was it was a bit of pinball, wasn't it, for a second or two? But a little bit nerve wracking. But that was that. And then then of course the, the Leroy goal. 
starts with Edison actually coming out to close down Mo Salah. Okay, Ray. So, so, well, let, let, let's let's uh, start Ray, with Ray. Ray, and then and then Colin, you're going to finish it off. So, uh, Ray, you start us off. Well, I'm, how how did that develop? Well, I remember you had Raheem Sterling coming down the pitch. I'll tell you something funnier afterwards. But Raheem Sterling was coming down uh, on middle to the right uh, of the pitch, and uh, I think uh, Aguero uh, was um, cutting inside. Aguero was kind of on his left. He moved across, took the defender a little bit with him, which left a little bit of space for. Leroy and it passed it to Leroy and Leroy hits it through the defender's leg it didn't really make much difference it hit the one post and it felt like an eternity <laughs> as it moved across you knew it was going in you knew it that's what you felt but it, it was like an eternity and your heart stopped beating for a second as it traversed the um, that same line that had saved us in the first half it was that line that got us that goal in the second half and it was it was fabulous and honestly we went totally berserk it was, if it was mental in the first half it was double mental after Leroy scored I think just before he scored the people in the crowd were saying they were mumbling because he, they didn't feel he was doing enough and within a few seconds uh, he had that opportunity and he scored and we were so grateful Colin I'm very very sorry to torture the sports metaphors but Leroy's goal in comparison with Steve Davis slotting in the black to win his uh, eighth <laughs> or ninth a snooker championship. What well, did you think you, about that? I, I, I was thinking back to a game we played many years ago against Derby at uh, Main Road in the mid-70s. And Dennis Stewart, it was an incredible game. I think it ended up 4-3 or something. And uh, for our fourth goal, um, Derby were attacking and Dennis Stewart broke away. Uh, and Dennis was quick. But he seemed to have taken the ball a bit wide. But he, he caught it, and a bit like Leroy, he caught it, and it hit the far post, rolled across the goal line, hit the near post, and then uh, rolled in. So it was a bit like, it reminded me a bit of that goal, if anyone, any of our older listeners remember that. But <laughs> it, it started, having said Edison was in a bit of a flat mode, but the goal actually started when Liverpool played a through ball to, Liverpool played a through ball to Salah, and, and he was a bit far ahead of him, and Edison came out, took the ball quite easily, as he does, uh, and just played it to Danilo. And I think that was was one of the few occasions in that game. Danilo then played a ball to that ball to Sterling. I think that was one of the few occasions where we played a good ball through the middle. You know, the gap was there. Danilo found it. Sterling was in plenty of space. The ball had gone on the floor. And as, as Ray said, he set off on that run. And Aguero did that, took, originally took Alexander-Arnold out of the game and, and just left the space for Sterling to, to play in Leroy. And, uh, you know, the ball was perfect and, and Leroy's finish was absolutely superb. And again, yeah, like Ray said, it looks... Snooker shot, snooker shot. Yeah, yeah snooker <laughs> shot. If, if you've seen the video from, I think it was at Sky, was it Darren Bent talking through the game? Yeah. Yep. Um, and uh, you could see in the background, they had all, all the, the staff working there. As soon as Darren Bent said, it's a goal, it's a goal. And you saw two, two of the staff stand up and like punch the air or something. Uh, I wonder who they were supporters. <laughs> and, you know, it was, and there's so much around this game, so much on social media, so many videos. Videos, so many pictures, um, so many stupid things that the Liverpool fans have said. It's it's been a brilliant day all day long. We talked about <laughs> clock blinking first, but bringing Fabinho on opened the game. I, I, I'm not sure we get that chance if if they had that same midfield three on because they'd have closed the space off yeah, that, that Danilo played in the ball into Sterling through. It worked for us as much as it worked for them. I want to ask you about one thing. I've seen. Uh, and Ray too. I've seen like about three or four different commentaries on the Leroy goal, but I want to just uh, big up Drury because I think 
His commentary was absolutely <laughs> ecstatic when Leroy scored that goal. The other commentators were a little bit muted, but um, is he now the best commentator in the game? I'm going to ask that question, first of all, to you, Colin, and then to uh, to Ray. Colin, what um, are your feelings about Drury? Is, is, he the, is he the best sort of goal celebrator of all the commentators? He seems to be. I don't, obviously, I don't listen to him um, more often than not. I'm at the games, or I'm watching on Sky I mean, or BT. He screamed when Leroy <laughs> scored <laughs> that goal. Which, um, does he work for one of the American channels? I'm not exactly sure, mate, actually. Not exactly but sure. Not, it's not for Sky or BT. No, not for no, one no, of the no, not, not UK all. channels. So, so you know, the chances are I wouldn't get to hear him. But I've heard some very complimentary stuff about him because we all know about Tyler and it. You know, it's like sounds like he's going to he's commentating on the you know um, the Queen's state funeral. Um, he did, he did a good when, job on Aguero, though. That, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll give him that. We'll give him that. Obviously, I was at, I was at the game. I watched the Sky commentary, and I thought I thought they were quite. Um, they, they, they were quite good about it. It's um, but but you know it was that exciting. It may not have been a um, people say it was it was a wasn't a game for the purist. But I tell you what, it was a game for the fan. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, anyone watching that game, whether you were a, a committed or a neutral, you, you you know that goal was just part of the excitement of the game. Ray, I've got to ask you a question because I've had several tweets from friends of my colleague uh, Walter Smith and yes. when when he when when City scored the winning goal, they have said that Walter celebrates so what can I say athletically that he takes out <laughs> half the stand with him. How how did you react to that goal? How did the City fans react to that goal where you were? As I, as I said earlier, we went uh, double mental. You know, we we were on a high in the, at the end of the first half and then through half time after we'd scored. We were we were brought back down to earth after Liverpool scored. We were desperate for for us to score again. We felt we deserved it. We were obviously slightly worried that that uh, we might give it away and uh, Liverpool might win it. And when Sane scored, yeah, it was double mental. I mean, we were jumping up and down uh, like crazy. You, there's plenty of videos out there where people were cheering so much that the camera was. I mean, I think one woman said she'd got a new phone. And as, as Sani scored, she threw a phone up in the air, and I think she's only had it two weeks, and it it flew through the air and disappeared <laughs> a few goals. And but I think people said it was well worth it. You know, you compare that to the company goal in that you know 2012 derby match. Yeah. It had the same reaction. I'm going to wager a bet. I mean, you're a, a very dignified fellow, but I'm I'm, I'm going to guess that. When Leroy scored that goal, it wouldn't have been quite the same as Derek Randall uh, hitting a four to the boundary for England. <laughs> England. Oh no! Oh, I, I, you know, my reaction was, "Oh, bravo, Leroy!" Did you keep the, your glasses on? Were you were you thrown around all over the place? I'm just trying to remember. I, I, I think um, the person in front of me hugged me. Uh, but yeah, we were we were jumping we were jumping around and uh, I, I don't know. It was a fear. I, I, I wasn't nervous about the game particularly. Obviously, it was a bit downhearted when Liverpool equalised. You're, so cool, you're so cool, Colin. You're so cool. I know, so cool. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, it must be old age. Um, but um, when that goal went in, I thought, well, that's it. We're going to win it. We're going to go on to win yeah. it because the, the game was more open. Uh, and I thought we would get more ch- they would have to come forward we would get more chances but I was much more confident that we were going to we were going to win it at that point so. I, I felt the same as soon as we'd scored I thought whatever happens even though Liverpool tried to lay uh, siege on our goal at the end I just felt we were going to win we were yeah. destined to win at that point we just we were fired up weren't we we were yeah. 
One of the things that I thought was really, really funny, I don't know if you noticed this, was Benjamin Mendy in danger of being arrested for being a pitch invader? <laughs> that was so funny when, when he ran on the pitch in his his orange jacket. His white trousers. That's it. And, and then the what two a stewards. Mess. <laughs> the, two, the two stewards, he'd left the two stewards behind. Two stewards chase on, and I think one grabbed him and then realized who he was. And then they both ran off as if they were really trying to grab him and they were going <laughs> to protect the referee. That was really funny. But the thing is, I want him to do something special for City now. You know, he's, he's had his season and a half here. He's hardly played for us. I want him to come back and do something yeah. special in the second half of the season. Yeah, me too. Me too. According to your understanding, how far away is Ben Mendy from coming back? And, and how far away is Kevin De Bruyne from coming back? Uh, well, Kevin De Bruyne's a strange one because obviously he was on the bench last night. I assumed he would come on for David Silva. You know, he'd get 20 Walter minutes convinced half an hour. Me. Walter, Walter and David convinced me that he was starting this game. I th- I did think he might start, but um, but you know how wrong can you be? Because Bernardo, who'd been I, I think had had some under par performances in our recent run, you know I would have started Kevin De Bruyne alongside David Silva, but Bernardo, wow! I mean, what a performance from him! Will we will we? It wasn't full of his beautiful craft and guile, but dear me, he was a beast, wasn't he? And that's where that's the that's the next point that I have to mention. We're we're going to wind it down in a few minutes, uh, guys, but Man of the Match is a very, very difficult decision, Ray. Who would you give it to? You swine. Um, It is a tough, tough call. I mean, Sane, Sterling, Aguero worked his socks off. Bernardo worked his socks off. Vinny Company. Company. Honestly, I'm a a fence-hitter on this one. Um, I'd... A lot of uh, the, the, apparently just to I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna bias you, but um, the uh, the majority I think of city fans on Twitter and Facebook are going behind Bernardo Silva. That's right. We're gonna have to talk about that a little bit, but um. Well, well I'm gonna go for Fernandinho. Oh, then my in that gosh, case. he was because he had another uh, another excellent game. Didn't yeah. and, and funny, this guy I was talking about the statistician who's a Liverpool fan, uh, apparently a paid. He said he gets paid to produce these stats. He said it's nonsense that Fernandinho was man of the match. He gave the ball away more than anyone. What? And, and this is this is a classic case of taking stats out of context because he was on the ball more than anyone. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I've not been, I've not run through the game frame by frame to work out how many times Fernandinho won the ball. But yeah, of course he's going to give it away a few times. Fernandinho was just immense. You know, everywhere he was. Just probably one of the best games he's ever had for us. Colin, but, do, you, you, Colin do you do you remember when they called Fernando the guy that we had under uh, Pellegrini and Mancini? They called him the octopus because he yeah. he got everything. Do you not think that really Fernandinho is the octopus? Fernandinho is well octopus. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, in terms of having having like eight so legs. many. So yeah. Well, if he if he if he'd made the tackle on Salah, he'd have been octopusy, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah. I, I'd call him the I'd call him the rhinoceros because uh, we've, he, we've, he, just, he just charges. We've got you get to, out of the way. It's like life. You've got to make your decision. You can't sit on the fence. I'm gonna beg you guys to tell me who you think was the most influential player. I'm gonna start with Ray. Okay, Ray, you've uh-huh. got a nail. Nail, nail your colours to the to the fence. Fernandinho. Yep. Okay. Fernandinho. Okay. And how about you, uh, Colin? I'm going to uh, agree with Ray. Although you know, if I could give it jointly, I'd give it to both Fernandinho and um, Bernardo. Guys, here's the big yep. question. Uh, the Liverpool fans have demanded an answer to this, so <laughs> I'm going to ask you: 
should way. Pep should Pep be reprimanded for throing the scarf? I heard on uh, was it? I mean, I'm not. I don't listen. I heard on on, on Twitter people were saying that Jim White spent was it 20 minutes on Talksport on his show at the start rather than talk <laughs> about the wonderful game of football. I know. He spent his time saying Pep should have been sent well, off. What about Klopp's assault on his water bottle? Oh, I was disgusting. That I was oh, wondering terrible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, it was like gosh. it was quite funny that because when they scored because he got the water bottle out of his pocket and he sort of strangled it and it was always thinking <laughs> I really want to throw this but no I'll get you know I'll, yeah. I'll, um, the Arsenal manager they'll do me like they did Unai Emery but it's very bizarre but well, I mean that was, that was a, I, thought, that was a, I thought Pep had a reason to get annoyed that, because that, two fouls had gone unpunished at that, that was moment. a little bit yeah. more dignified than, than Klopp's last celebration if you remember he sort of like grabbed his nether regions and sort of don't all do that it looked like something that shouldn't be uh, broadcast on public TV it's something but, about um, these German managers where they have to either put, grab the nether regions or put the hands down the pants <laughs> Look. yeah I think uh, you know sometimes uh, I think that Klopp is uh, rivaling uh, Yogi Love for uh, what kind of things he does with his hands when they when they go when they score a goal but um, yeah. Okay. I've I've got a few more things just to mention before the end of the po- pod, guys. But um, I've reached the kind of the end of my list of talking points. But I'm sure I've missed one or two, Colin. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you one just before the end. It was after 81 minutes when Raheem put Sergio through one on one with the keeper. Yep. And from where we, we where we were, it looked that like Sergio had got past Allison the way he'd done it. Uh, last season uh, against Liverpool where he'd gone through on the keeper gone to one side and slotted it in and we thought it was just a case of him slotting it in and uh, Alisson you got to give him credit it was a, it was a good save he stood up and he, he got down to, to Sergio and we thought you know, we were praying for that to go in because you know there was only a few minutes to go and that would have really uh, settled our nerves for the for the rest of the game and we'd have been in even better voice rather than being nervous we'd have given those dippers a, a lot more I think in the last 10 minutes if Sergio had scored so it was a shame yeah, it looked like, because um, it was classic Sergio. I say, I'm down at that end as well, yeah. in 109. And it looked from where we were that, yeah, he's going to get round the keeper. And, but I mean, I, yeah, I think you've got to give Alisson credit. Uh, you know, for all the criticism we gave him his distribution, he dealt with that very, very well. Once we went 2-1 up, I was quite confident. I knew the gaps would be there. And that, that Aguero chance, proved, I mean, we had a three-on-one for that. Yeah, yeah. Or three-on-two. Three-on-two. But even right, right at the end, and he was getting a bit desperate right at the end. Obviously, we were still chasing and ha- there were times when we were hacking the ball clear uh, uh, you know and that's fine if you hack it far enough down into touch you give give yourself a chance to kind of reset you defensively but you know we were pushing them down pressing them down in the corner and, and Leroy did a fantastic job he won that ball back a couple of times set Bernardo <laughs> and uh, he, he was in the same sort of position Aguero was in actually yeah. but shot straight to Allison. but then uh, again it was very reminiscent of the um, semi-final final goal against United at Wembley where, where they cleared the ball but only to a City player yeah. so I can't remember who it was cleared it was it David Silva then set up um, Yaya Toure uh, and the ball fell to Sterling it was Lovren who really had a miserable night I think um, cleared it to Sterling who was pretty central uh, and he tried to put it in the corner but misjudged it but oh, imagine if that had have gone in you know a, a 90th minute winner from Raheem Sterling would have just been the icing on the cake wouldn't it they always say that uh, Sterling is muted and 
uh, against Liverpool. How do you think that Sterling faced up against the Boo Boys? I think he was very good, very, very good indeed. I think it really helped. Uh, to have the City fans singing throughout the game so any chance of the Liverpool boo boys trying to um, you know uh, hiss him or whatever was always going to be drowned out by the City fans so I think uh, it's probably the best he's ever played against Liverpool I think in my memory um, since he's left and I'm just hoping now that this performance and this win will set him up for whenever we go to Anfield, whenever we play Liverpool, he'll be like this every time. I think he's got a little bit more maturity. He's 24 years old. He's he's not an elder statesman of the team, but he's a senior member of the team now. Very important player. And it, we've seen this season a few times where he feels he's the one who has to step up. And I think that's a, a sign of his uh, developing maturity. Can Laporte now play left-back for Manchester City? Yes, but not the sort of left back we normally expect. In the I don't Champions think League, maybe or no, no. Well, I mean, we, we, no. I, I mean, if you, you uh, no. Colin, if you had the choice between Zinchenko, Delph, Allfit, and Laporte, and this is a Champions League game, what are you going to go for? <laughs> It depends on the Very circumstance. As I've said before, Laporte was perfect for a, a more or less a, a much flatter back four than we normally play with, yep. because he's he's an out and out defender and, and he's got pace. And I think um, perhaps if you were facing a front three like Liverpool's, then you, you probably wouldn't want Zinchenko in there. Um, if if we were playing, I, I guess if we're playing Schalke at home, you, you, you'd probably um, want. Someone like if you want a fullback to to take up that auxiliary midfield position, then you you probably want Delph. If you want a fullback who's good at putting in uh, good in the forward positions, then you probably want Zinchenko. If you want a fullback who's purely defensive, then you want probably want Laporte. So I think it depends on circumstances. Yeah, Ray. Here's a question: Champions League final, Manchester City against <laughs> Barcelona. You've got a choice between Zinchenko, Delph, and Laporte. At left back, what are you going to go for? First, I'm going to ask you, are you expecting Ben Mended to be injured? Yeah, I'm, I'm, expe- <laughs> I'm expecting him still to be injured. <laughs> then I say we go for it. Zinchenko. Yeah. I say we go for it. Why go defensive against Barcelona? They don't yeah. like it. Uh, they don't like it up them. So let's <laughs> stick it up them. We now have a conundrum because Kevin De Bruyne is becoming, he, he was almost there in this game. Not quite. Didn't quite make it. Who drops out of the midfield for KDB? Because Bernardo got, was so good in this game. You, you know, you've got three. It's about rotation, isn't it? Because we've now got, once he gets back to full fitness, that, you know, KDB can do things that, that David Silva can't do. It's about combinations. I don't know, really. I mean, you can afford to rotate. David Silva's now 33. Obviously, we're, we don't we don't want to be easing him out of the team, but we're not going to be playing him every three days. And you know, we're in a situation where we're going to be playing virtually every three days now till till May. Assuming we don't get knocked out of the FA Cup, it gives you a chance to rotate. You know, and it depends on who you're playing. David Silver is a player you play against a team that perhaps more open. Kevin De Bruyne is a, that you play against someone you need to break down. Bernardo, I think we've seen different sides of Bernardo, and I think he can do some of the things that both of them do. What I think he showed last night was he can do that defensive role. He's you know, a scrapper, he can, isn't he? He's a scrapper like David Silva. So, so I think your ideal combination is you know Bernardo and De Bruyne, knowing that David Silva's career is uh, winding down a little bit, uh, and that's going to be our obviously Foden's also waiting in the wings. So, so I. 
think it's obviously you want to still play David Silva, but you only have you don't have to play him every three days. Obviously, going forward, it's De Bruyne and, and, and Bernardo. Bernardo showed, as we said, we can play that scrappy game. I, I think, as Colin said, it depends on the opposition. We're going to rotate. I can see KDB playing a lot of games once he's fully, fully, fully fit, and I I still think David Silva is the number one partner for for KDB. I don't think Bernardo's taken over that mantle yet. Uh, I've said before, my feeling has been that when Fernandinho and David Silva haven't played, Bernardo lost. But when those two guys have played, Bernardo has excelled. So I, I still think David Silva, definitely for this season at least, is my first choice partner for KDB. Uh, but I, it just, it's just going to depend on opposition, and I, KDB and it, will be rested from time to time. Where David Silva is is paramount is his combinations with Leroy Sané. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Guys, we have like a kind of a week to rest now. I don't know if that's an accurate statement. We've got <laughs> Rotherham and Burton against Rotherham and Burton in the. Uh, League Cup and the FA Cup. What kind of lineups do you think that Pep is going to go with? I mean, is he going to just take all this big guns out and bring in Phil Foden and bring in Otamendi? How do you think that Pep is going to play the next week? I definitely think against Rotherham, he's going to make a lot of changes. But there's a lot of good players that can walk in, like Walker, uh, Zinchenko, uh, Otamendi. So you can change through the back four without, you know, uh, making it too, too weak. Murich? Uh, sorry? Murich, the goalkeeper? I, I, I can see him... I'm not. I, I think he'll play that. against Burton. Uh, yeah, he'll play against Burton because he's hasn't he played all the the League Cup yeah. games. So I can see maybe Murich for Burton, but Edison uh, for Rotherham. Up front, I think we'll get. Yeah, I think we want to get through. I think uh, you can't take them too lightly. We've been stung a, a couple of times in the last few years in the FA Cup and uh, we haven't won it for a very, very long time. It's so about I, time I we won the FA Cup, lads, isn't it? Yeah. I'd love uh, to. I'd love an FA I'd, Cup final again. Yeah, I'd love to go down in May Sun's shining on the, on our backs and our bald heads. And, you can't uh, beat belting out abide with me. It's <laughs> highlight of my life, that. Okay, guys, just before we finish off, there's a couple of plugs that I need to do. First of all, uh, when we were talking about big teams against small teams against in the cup competitions, I want to really recommend something to you guys. If you haven't listened to it already, one of my favorite shows is ESPN FC, where you've got those growly Scots, you know, like... Um, Craig Burley Craig and Burley. Steve Nichol. They're absolutely wonderful. And there's a pod that they've just put out in which Paul Mariner and Craig Burley, they talk about what it's like as a big team to come up against a small team in a cup competition in the early rounds. So that's the first thing I've got to mention. The second thing I've got to mention is that, guys, we've got a new city podcast online. It's called The City Eye. Two great guys, and they've started off a new podcast. And, of course, we want to promote them. The next thing is there's a lovely little girl called Isla Caton. And she's been uh, fighting against a rare form of neuroblastoma. And I said that I would mention that on the pod. Beautiful little girl. Her parents are putting out tweets and asking for retweets and support and prayers and got a new chemotherapy session starting. So we want to mention her. Apart from that, I think that is your Liverpool review, guys. So I'm going to finish off bidding farewell for a very short time to two members of the BFTB team. So first of all, I'm going to say Colin Savage for your insights, for your theories, for your <laughs> history, for your knowledge. I'm so grateful. Colin, thank you so much for coming on. 
Can I can I just say one thing before we depart? Absolutely. Um, my son lives in Arizona. Apparently, Bernardo Silva has been spotted running down Highway 163, <laughs> past Monument Valley, uh, and finally stopped saying, I'm really tired. I think I'll go home now. Was it 13.7 kilometres, I think? Kilometres, yeah, yeah, yeah. That he I, 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 just watched, I just watched Forrest Gump the other night, and I, I love that scene. I and, thought uh, he was I could just imagine Bernardo still on 163. I thought he was asking your son, is this the way to Amarillo? <laughs> no, my son has done, my son has done that. But um... <laughs> Also, guys, we have to express an immense amount of gratitude from a, for a very, very busy man. Manchester City fan team. TV. Ray, he's been putting out the videos with Andy. There are absolutely fantastic videos. The match reaction against Liverpool, the player ratings that he did with Andy were absolutely phenomenal. Guys, if you have not done this already, you're behind the times. This is the way that Manchester City is going forward. Manchester City Fan TV on YouTube and on Twitter. You've got Andy at Aviation Blue. You've got Ray at at Man City Ray. Guys, give them a follow. Get on the YouTube. Subscribe to this channel. It's absolutely amazing. Ray, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, you're most welcome, Mike. Anytime. Okay, guys. Well, at Bolt from the Blue, we'll be back after the next game. So until then, have one on us and up the blues. We can't do it all in